Good morning. If you have your Bible, you can open up to uh, Luke's Gospel and chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. We're going to be continuing in our series looking through Luke's Gospel, which we jumped back into a few weeks ago. And in chapter 20, we're going to be looking starting in verse 19. This is the word of God. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere. That they might catch him. In something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar? Or not. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things. That are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for opportunity now to look into your word, to receive wisdom and truth from it, and we pray that your spirit would accompany and empower the reading and preaching of your word that we, your people, may be affected by it. Not just for our thoughts, but for our hearts to be so changed that our lives would reflect your honor and your glory. So we ask, Lord, that you would bless this time now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are few places in the the public sphere that bring more polarizing views than politics and religion. Our culture seems to have an unspoken code of, of certain topics that we try to stay away from when we get into conversations with people that we've just met. Um, at the top of that list is religion and politics. So when we sit down in the barber chair, we we play it safe and we talk about the weather. We know that um, where one's allegiance lies when it comes to religion and politics, uh, it can quickly bring not just awkward conversation, but division and even unrest. So this morning, we have a collision of these two topics. 
And what we have before us is Jesus' response when he's called into question about his allegiance in these areas. And what we want to see through this text and how the Lord Jesus responds to this question is the proper perspective. We want a right understanding, a biblically shaped understanding of how we can hold proper perspective and views when it comes to our allegiance that needs to be held highest. And so we will see that the gospel gives us the proper perspective to understand where we should place our highest allegiance. So let's, let's dissect what's going on here by first picking up a little bit more of the context. Uh, we have just, a few weeks ago, started back up in the Gospel of Luke, finishing up the, the, the final large section of the Gospel, which, which records for us the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, we saw just a few weeks ago when Jesus enters the scene uh, on what we come to call Palm Sunday. And he comes riding on a donkey. And as he enters the city, there is, is hailing of him in honor. He, he receives a, a kingly reception with shouts from the crowd saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus is being honored and received into the city as one to be looked at, as one to be honored. And we see now in the first few days of this last week, Jesus is going to be spending his time teaching the people in public. And in the midst of these scenes where we see his public teaching, we also have recorded for us by Luke a behind-the-scenes view of the rising opposition of the religious leaders and their plots to dismantle Jesus from the authority and honor that he is being given. The religious leaders have a hatred for Jesus that is on the rise. And at this point in his earthly ministry, we see this hatred strike a boiling point. They're no longer questioning him, investigating him, grumbling about him, seeking to understand him. No, no. They've moved beyond these things. Now they're seeking to eliminate him. We saw in the passage last week, Luke records for us that these religious leaders are seeking to destroy him at the end of chapter 19. And so they begin to attack him in this public ministry, in his teaching. And we're going to see in chapter 20, we saw last week, this week, and next week, we're going to look at these attacks that come and challenge Jesus. Last week they have challenged Jesus' authority, asking him, where do you get your authority from? Today they're challenging his allegiance. And then they will challenge his theology. They want to attack him and, and knock him off of his, his persona amongst the public and get rid of him 
in any way that they can. So they're seeking to destroy him. And Jesus responds to these leaders with a parable that we looked at last week that was not too subtle in pointing out their wicked ways and how God will respond to them. And so now, in our text this morning, their hatred has gotten to such a level that our text says that they seek to lay hands on him that very hour. They're done playing games. They want to get rid of him right now. But they fear the crowd. Jesus has gained popularity amongst the people and so the religious leaders even though their hatred is boiled over and they want to get rid of him immediately they know that they cannot do it in such a way that would compromise themselves he's too popular at this point amongst the people they fear the crowd and what they find themselves in is a similar situation that they had with John the Baptist John had a popularity amongst the people as well. And they remember that John was taken off the scene at the hands of the Romans. So, the religious leaders concoct a plan that will hopefully bring a similar fate to Jesus. They must get rid of him, but they know that they cannot have his blood on their hands. They need someone else To do their dirty work for them. So they come up with a plan. They send spies to trap him in a question that they believe will have no apparent escape. The spies that they send, they're they're pretenders. These would be individuals who Jesus would not recognize from being from any particular group. And our text uses the word that we use today as hypocrites. They're they're putting on a facade of sincerity. And according to Matthew and Mark's account of this same incident, the Herodians are involved. These would be a political party of Jews who were loyal to Herod, the Roman governor in charge. And so... The Herodians are this same group that was involved in the arrest and execution of John the Baptist. So their plan, let's trap him, put him in a corner where he will have to choose sides. He's he's going to have to declare an allegiance that we can use to get rid of him. So they send these spies. The setup we see in verse 21 is to come softly to Jesus in their hypocritical stance. They they begin by flattering Jesus in order to, to gain a place and a hearing where then they can set the trap for their question. They say, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach The way of God. Their words are not honest. They are words merely meant to bait the hook. One pastor I read described flattery here as the the mirror image of gossip. When we gossip, we 
say things about someone that we would not say to their face. Flattery here is saying something to someone's face that we would not say about them behind their back. They flatter Jesus so that they can pose as those coming honestly, looking for for real advice and wisdom. But they are only filled with evil intentions. So after their flattery, they have baited the hook, and so they ask the question, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? It's a question about whether or not the people of God, the Jews, should pay taxes to Caesar or not. It's a hot button issue of the day. And oh, how clever they believe the question to be. So on the surface, the question seems, seems straightforward for them to gain some wisdom from Jesus on this tricky issue. But when we begin to understand some of the context, we see how clever this question really was. See, for these people, the Jewish people, they have been ruled over and occupied by the Romans for over a century at this point in history. And they have been required to pay taxes to the Roman government. The tax in reference Uh, in this question, is a poll tax which every Jew was required to pay just for the privilege of living in a Roman-occupied land. So for the first century Jew, this tax, uh, it stung pretty bad. These Jews were living in the land that God had given them, in the city of God's temple which the Romans have taken over by force and have used their ruling politics to tax these people in their own land. And so since the inception of this tax, there have been numerous revolts by different political groups and zealots uh, refusing to obey Rome and to pay this tax. This question is is touching a very sore spot in the political climate of the day. It's not simply a question about finances. It's rather a question that is rooted in allegiance. They were asking about one of their current political situations, and they're asking, how should we, as God's people, organize ourselves in the current political climate? What side should we be on? It's an interesting question for us to consider in our current climate. How should we think about these things? How should we organize ourselves politically? How should the people of God respond to government rule? Where does our allegiance lie? And they're crafty about how they ask it. They pose the question like any good lawyer would do as an either or option. They want a yes 
or a no answer. This backs Jesus into a corner. See, if Jesus were to answer yes, the religious leaders would know that he would lose all of his street cred. People would view him as a compromiser and a sellout, another Herodian left winger. But if Jesus is answering no, then he could be pinned down as a a radical insurrectionist and a right-wing zealot, unwilling to give government their due. He would be arrested and tried for treason. The either-or options to answer the question they believe pose a lose-lose situation for Jesus. These crafty questioners don't know this Jesus. They are not ready and not expecting his wisdom in this situation. They think they have him trapped. They think the matter is settled. But Jesus has an answer. He uses an object lesson of a coin to lay down this fundamental and principled truth for us. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Before Jesus gives this this majestic, marvelous answer, he asks them to pull out a coin, a denarius, to use to make his point crystal clear. The coin that was produced would be bearing the image of the ruling Caesar, the emperor of that time, Tiberius Caesar. And at this time, the inscription on the coin would have read, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, Augustus. The object lesson is not a complicated one. Jesus is simply demonstrating that this coin bears the image and inscription of Caesar, the emperor, and therefore it is his property. Caesar has ownership and authority over the currency and the domain in which it is used. So Jesus' point is simply, it has his name on it, so give it to him. And by using this principle of ownership and authority to answer their question, Jesus makes clear that there are domains of authority where the ruling government lies and where God's people are to respect and obey that authority. Jesus is saying that government, it functions on the premise that there is a responsibility of the people to give Caesar what is Caesar's. To give to government what belongs to government. Where government has authority, we are to respect that authority. Now, the Apostle Paul 
he expounds on Jesus' teaching in, in greater detail in Romans chapter 13. You can turn there in your Bibles, or uh, hopefully it will be up on the screen. Paul takes what Jesus is laying out and, and gives us some greater clarity and depth on this issue. In Romans 13, I'm going to read the first seven verses. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. The Apostle Paul here lays out for us what the responsibility of the people of God is to be in relation to governing authorities. We're to be subject to them. It is right and good for us to respect the role of government in our lives. Because government is a God-ordained means of bringing about His sovereign initiative in the world. Government has its place of authority established and given by God for our good. For the people of God, we are to be subject to the governing authorities, understanding that those authorities have been established by God. They have been put there by Him to carry out His will and for our good. So Paul says, we pay taxes, we give respect and honor to those authorities. Peter adds that we do this for the Lord's sake. God has established government for our good, and we are called to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Where government has authority and ownership, we are to be people that respect that authority, that submit to that authority, that obey that authority, always recognizing that it has been given there by God himself. That we are 
giving honor where honor is due as a way of honoring God. And so we have to examine ourselves when it comes to the things that we are to render to Caesar. Have we been holy, honest, and true in the matters of being subject to the governing authorities? Have we been wholly honest in paying our taxes? Seeing that it is a way of being subject to the authority that God has established. Have we been wholly honest in giving respect where it is due? To those who hold positions of authority in our government, have we spoken of them in ways that show honor? I know that this can be a difficult command to follow, a difficult thing to be subject to. And and if you notice, Paul does not call us to be subject to those authorities only when we agree with them. It's not there in the text. We are called to honor those positions of authority because God has established those positions of authority. And where we have failed to give honor and respect, we must repent. We must repent as a way to please the Lord and call ourselves into obedience to him and to his word. Regardless of what the culture around us is doing, the people of God must be shaped by the word of God. And therefore, we will be marked different, very different, in this current political climate that we find ourselves in. As we seek to be people shaped by God's word, we will follow through and give honor and respect And pay tribute where we are called to do these things as a way to be obedient to God. Jesus uses the object lesson of the coin to draw attention to where authority and ownership lies. Not just to make the first point, but to make his second and even greater point. Jesus shows that the coin is under the authority and ownership of Caesar and therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But he's not done. Jesus says, and to God, the things that are God's. Caesar's image and inscription is stamped on that coin, declaring his ownership and authority over it. But it is God's image and inscription that is stamped on humanity, declaring his ownership and authority over every individual. In Genesis chapter 1, in the creation account, it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. The image and inscription of God is stamped on the soul of every person. 
Therefore, his authority and his ownership and his rule is over every person. And so Jesus says, give to God what is God's. What is God's? Everything. Everything is his. His authority, his ownership, his rule is over everything. Paul says in Romans 11 verse 36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. There is no area of the universe that is outside of the jurisdiction of God's authority and rule. There is no area of our lives that is outside of God's authority and rule. So what Jesus does is he elevates the question that is brought to him. They come seeking to trap him in a question of allegiance that has to do with earthly matters. And Jesus raises it far above what they were expecting to the universal level, to the heavenly realms, declaring that God is due to him everything. When we have the proper perspective and proportion that Jesus gives, we begin to understand where highest allegiance must lie. See, Jesus says, yes, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but give to God the things that are God. Make no mistake about the ultimate authority and the ultimate allegiance. There's no false understanding that those two things are automatically at odds. Remember, The questioners come and they think they are crafty. The text even tells us that Jesus sees their craftiness. They they believe they are giving to him an either or question. Pitting these two things, God and Caesar, against one another. But Jesus' masterful answer reveals there's another way. We can give to Caesar what is Caesar's as a way of giving to God what is God's. These things are not at odds. When Jesus says give to God the things that are God's, the ownership and authority of God is over everything, every area of the universe, every area of our lives. Jesus is saying that we must give wholehearted devotion to honoring God. There's no part of our lives that is out of his ownership and authority and rule. So he says, sure, that coin has Caesar's inscription on it. Give him his due. That is his authority and rule in his temporal earthly office. But be sure to give to God the things that are eternal and heavenly. 
See, this is what the religious leaders fail to see in their encounters with Jesus. The religious leaders, they are driven by their jealousy, their anger, and their cowardice. Their highest allegiance is to the preservation of self, to their, to their own image. Their greatest tribute and what they value most is wrapped up in the, the temporal kingdom of this world, in the status and positions that they hold. They see Jesus as a threat to the authority that they want to hold on to. We must not miss that what we have before us in this text is highlighting what is the the default state of all mankind as a result of fall into sin. All men are under the curse of sin. And sin entered the world and has corrupted what God has made. Man in the image of God made To reflect the beauty, worthy, and glory of God has a heart stained by sin and set to steal that glory for himself. We're all guilty of it. We have all been corrupted by sin. We have all got our allegiance twisted up. We are all wrapped up with our focus so bent on this temporal life that we fight, that we plot, that we question, that we grumble, that we might hold on to what we really hold as our highest allegiance, allegiance to self. But Jesus here exposes that for us. See, the highest level of allegiance for these religious leaders and really for all men is an allegiance to self-glory. There is the song of the sin-stained soul that everyone is broken by sin. We're all corrupted. We're all bound by it. We're all in great need. The need for every one of us is to be set free. To be set free from the bondage of sin that causes us to lay hold of our allegiance to self more than anything else. To be set free and to know and to experience the God in whose image we were made. The one who we were made for. To give him our highest allegiance. To give our lives to him because he is owner. And authority and sovereign and worthy of it all. God demands that we render to Him everything. Because we were made in His image, He has the right to demand that we would render to Him everything. We are under His authority and His ownership. But what we must see is that the greatest display of the worth and the value for us to give to God all that is His is displayed in the gospel. We are called 
to give to God everything because he has given to us everything we need. The cross, the cross of Jesus, this Jesus who gives us this wisdom in our text. And in just a few days from this encounter would be tried and beaten and mocked and accused falsely and put to death on a hill just outside this city. That is the scene of the greatest display. That is the scene of the greatest rendering. God himself, out of love and mercy and grace, has paid the tribute, the penalty that we deserve. That we would be set free from the bondage to sin. That we might give our lives to God. This gospel message, it is good news. Good news for our souls to know that Jesus has rendered for us that we may be people who live lives to God above all else. It it fills us and fuels us with the right perspective. The gospel gives us the understanding to place our highest allegiance because we see where the greatest payment has been made. Oh, friends, may we again and again look at this gospel and there be filled and fueled with a passion for the glory of God above all else. We may find in our lives that we are passionate about things. That we are passionate about positions, about opinions, about politics. May we never be more passionate about anything else than giving glory to God. May the conversations that we have, the relationships that are around us, may they be marked with the passion we have for the glory of God above everything else. May we render our lives to God Because Christ has rendered his life for us. May we hail the power and wisdom and majesty of this Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and for its truth. And we ask that by your spirit that you would give us Wisdom and discernment. We know that our days in the current culture are filled with opportunities to enter into conversations and discussions, to take positions that will bring conflict. May we be people so filled and saturated with your word 
and your wisdom and with a passion fueled by the gospel that your glory is our greatest aim. We need your spirit to fill us and to help us in these things. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.